Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Four Weddings and a Funeral. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed and listen without having seen the film, just be aware that there are a few plot spoilers. Enjoy. What was that? I was just uh, just playing the bass while I was waiting for you. <laughs> the heat just makes me so like livid that I can't play nicely. I can only do heavy riffage. That is understandable. <laughs> That's enough of that. You know what I I you know what I feel about this heat, right? What? I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. <laughs> this bastard heat is all around me. And so my anger grows. Well, yeah, wasn't the band that did that song called Heat, Heat, Heat? Or Hot, Hot, Heat? <laughs> <laughs> it was not Hot, Hot, Heat. Um, it was Wet, Wet, Wet. Which is what I could go for right now. Do you remember the, the band Hot, Hot, Heat? I do remember the band Hot, Hot, Heat. They had that really good They're song, all, all... Bandages. And then some other songs. Yeah. In the year that we first got Cable, which I think must have been about 2002, maybe, that song was, the video for that song was on MTV2 all of the time. Yeah, I remember that. All day, every day. And I had the singer who had very curly hair going, bandages, bandages. (laughs) That's an excellent rendition right there. And I remember my dad looking at it and going, Hot Hot Heat, that's a rubbish name for a band. And I hadn't really questioned band names much up until that point. But then I kind of thought, yeah, it is, isn't it? You know that their first release was called Knock Knock Knock. <laughs> knock Knock Neat. Knock Knock Neat. Knock Knock Night. Knock Knock Night. Which is the sequel to Hollow Knight. It is the sequel to Hollow Knight. Um, Coming soon to Steam. Yes, which itself is a sequel to Shovel Knight, I believe. Yeah, um, which I always think sounds like a Scottish insult. You shovel knight. <laughs> <laughs> you shovel knight. Um, disclaimer, those two games are not related. No. Um, but they're both very good. But they good. are both very good. Very good indeed. Um, I'm a fan of both of them. Yes. And they're, they're, they are related in that they're both games made after 1998 that I have played, which, <laughs> which is, is a very, very small, small subset of games. I was um, playing on my new, my newish Super Nintendo little machine that Nintendo had done, the retro classic machine. I was playing Donkey Kong Country before we came on this. Ah, oh, Donkey Kong Country. It's all right, you know. But how's then I started it, playing. How's it um, held up, Donkey Kong Country. It... It's, okay. it's okay. The the graphics feel a lot blockier than with Mario and stuff. I think because they were trying to be that bit more realistic than Mario, but with that same kind of. 16-bit processing it hasn't aged well but the gameplay is pretty all right but um let's see there's the kirby one kirby's magical fun house or something i can't even remember what it's called which is extremely good and very fun which one uh, i don't know which one's on it but i i played kirby superstar saga recently 
and that's still amazing yeah um, i think it's those, that one yeah those kirby games in that era are still really good fun and i've in fact got um got kirby's dreamland on my 3ds that i i, I bought that is also nostalgia. very good and that's still really good fun even though you can beat it in like 20 minutes yeah it's, um, uh, it's in 1994 super nintendo was king and you know we richard curtis and hugh grant and all of the people in for weddings and a funeral weren't as big stars as we know them now they weren't household names really is that fair to say yeah, curtis is... maybe for having written black adder and stuff but yeah i feel like th- this supposedly is the film that really rocketed them to stardom yeah this is the this is the uh breakout from britain to the world <laughs> could you could you call that a brexit <laughs> well yeah um four weddings and a funeral is the anti-brexit where where something weird and british opened itself up to the rest of the world rather than something weird and british closing itself off from everybody hmm. yes that's that's very true actually and very sad <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 1994. It was a simple time, wasn't it? As I yes. always say, it was. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, what did you make of it? Um. It's fine. <laughs> that was my key <laughs> takeaway. <from laughs> it. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. I. I. I don't remember the film very well at all. Um. From when I was younger. See, I had never seen it before, even though my mum used to quote it at me constantly. She always used to talk about... She used to quote the guy who talked about being buggered senseless at school, even though that was not happening to me in the same school context. Um, And she also, yeah, used to talk about the Stop All the Clocks poem and stuff all the time. But then she never, like, watched it again. And I think that was the thing as well. I feel like it didn't have the same kind of endurance power maybe as some of the others, but people still remember it being such a big thing at the time. And there's, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between those two things that it hasn't aged well, but it wasn't what I was expecting at all. Really? No, it, I, what I find interesting is how, how little I remember it and also how little you're completely right. How little it gets rewatched in comparison to even other Richard Curtis movies. Um, even though it's still held up as kind of his standout film, as this is the guy who brought you four weddings and a funeral, um, it's it's not it's not lasted in the same way that Notting Hill has or Love Actually has. Um, yeah, and and there's very little that I remember from it when I saw it as a as a very young boy, um, but because I can't have I can't have been more than ten years old when I saw it last. Um, but the, pretty much the only thing I remember about it is the guy dying at the wedding. That's, that's kind of the only oh, thing yeah. that I remember. Um, so it's quite strange that that it hasn't endured. And and why do you think that is? Why do you think that it's, that it's not held that longevity? I don't know. I I think it's partly because well, I haven't seen Notting Hill in a very long time, so I can't speak for that. But it love actually if you want to compare the two just to make that point i think love actually managed to hit popular culture in a very very different way didn't it right it, it seemed like four weddings is based more closely on richard curtis's more personal experience and was drawing upon that to make it about this one character whereas love actually has all these kind of little moments of happiness and people that i think curtis got better at grabbing onto it's not to say that it's zeitgeisty because as we discussed in the love actually episode episode it has actually not aged well either 
but for different reasons, mostly to do with Andrew Lincoln and his weird face. <laughs> we, we don't like Andrew Lincoln unless he's looking sad, surrounded by zombies and shouting the name Carl. That is that is it. That is it. Um, <laughs> um and 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 yeah i i do feel as though there is something a little bit more personal something a little bit more humble about four weddings and a funeral that some of those other movies lack it's a lot less bombastic both in terms of its plot and in terms of its style um and it almost feels like it's kind of richard curtis stepping out into a movie but before he's perfected how a movie operates versus how a TV show operates. Wouldn't you yes, say? I would say that's completely fair. And it's um, it definitely goes on far too long. And the scenes are much more televisual in the way that they're constructed. You almost feel like it could have been yeah, a bunch of different episodes or like a sort of four to six part series in which it would have been okay to have a bunch of long scenes in churches. Because even though, it, obviously, it's four weddings and a funeral, it's going to focus around weddings and churches and stuff. The scenes in the churches really, really drag in a way that they would... I think it wouldn't feel that way if it were a sitcom. Because a lot of it, it's, it's not dissimilar to some of the humour in The Vicar of Dibley, although the humour in The Vicar of Dibley is that bit more refined. Not that I think it's comic genius, but it's, you know, it's that, it's that bit more refined than Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is a sort of thin plot of this one quite unlikable guy... And his just going to these weddings and trying to get with this woman and it eventually working out for him, even though he's not really done much to deserve it. And a bunch of kind of very, very cheap jokes like saying fuck in front of a priest or ever kind of hang loosely off of the back of that. And it just feels a bit felt a bit flat to me. It feels very innocent, this film, Um, in that you get humor out of... um, out of things that really aren't that funny it's it's something that would be funny to someone who's very young or very innocent like swearing in front of a priest yeah it's smut you know in Um, i guess in 1994 it was considered a big deal to say fuck well it's it's not really because things like robocop existed in the 80s it's 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 and it's not really smut it's just kind of it's just kind of vague titillation um and and it's fine in that regard like it's you know, it's that kind of very light-hearted humour that that sort of British people who like vanilla ice cream as their favourite ice cream um, appreciate. See, I, I I think that vanilla gets a bad rap. I, I actually quite like vanilla. Not on its own, but used as a base and paired with other things. I think it really shines, you know? I think I think it, it's it's unfair to say that vanilla is the blandest of things. No, when, but if if someone like, turns up and says vanilla couscous ice cream is the best ice cream, then you know that there's something a little bit sheepish about them, and you probably shouldn't let them near your children. Yeah, you mean if if they don't even mention like Ben and Jerry's or whatever? Yeah, if it's just oh, you know what I really like? I really like Sainsbury's own vanilla ice cream. But nobody really likes that. It's just it's ad- it's adequate, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 that's what I mean. Is this movie's kind of, it's that little bit above the adequate norm that people accept, and that's where it kind of shines in that way that British humour often often does, in that it's just kind of there and it's a little bit titillating, and it's got a decent enough assortment of characters that you appreciate that you don't really mind that the main characters are both not very nice. 
Yeah, it's it's yeah, you're right. It's it's adequate, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's okay ice cream. It's it ain't a soft scoop. No, I'll we'll no, say. No. When you when you get four weddings and a funeral out of the freezer, you are not going to be able to dig into that mother. You've got you're going to have to give it five minutes. minutes well, five minutes in it. this heat. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's a fine movie. And you specifically mentioned that Hugh Grant's character is unlikable, but I didn't really have much of a problem with him for most of the film. Um, he's just a bit of a bumbling oaf who's like had some bad relationships but most of the exes seem okay with it but then he treats his most recent ex incredibly badly and that leaves quite a sour taste in the mouth but at the same time the person who he's romancing is having affairs on her fiance um and equally isn't very likable (laughs) i think what i i didn't really mean likable i think that's that's a kind of shorthand word that is often used wrongly isn't it because characters don't have to be likable. You don't have to like them to root for them. Like, you know, Holden Caulfield. He's very unlikable. He's a rude bastard. But you root for him, don't you? Because it's his story and it's told well and you are given reasons to care. Like the fact that he left the foils on the subway. You know, that's a reason to care for him. Whereas there was no... I didn't feel that in Four Weddings and a Funeral we were given any reason to care about Hugh Grant's character. No, you weren't given any reason to care about either of the leads in Four Weddings and a Funeral, and instead, a lot of the a lot of the sort of emotional attachment that you get is for the for the rest of the cast, who all have much more put into them in spite of their smaller screen time. Um, so you find yourself looking at the other characters and thinking, "Oh yeah, that's cool. I like this person, or I I, I want this person to succeed." Whereas with Hugh Grant and and Annie McDowell, it's just like, eh, you know, they're going to get together. It's pretty obvious. All their, yeah. all their dialogue is quite poor. It's, Hugh Grant's character here, Charles, he feels like a a bizarre prototype of his character from Notting Hill. And Notting Hill's a much better film than this. Yeah, this is the first example, I think, of Hugh Grant being Hugh Grant, of being the Hugh Grant that we know and that is stereotyped and that led to him being, I think, actually typecast in other roles. Because having seen him in a few other things where he's not doing this, e.g. the recent Paddington 2... He actually, I think, has a broader range than people give him credit for, but he allowed himself to be typecast as the, oh, but bumbling oaf English character. Oh, did I break your heart? Oh, you know, like that ended up being his thing. And I think to see the origin of this was actually of that was actually a bit. It made me a bit sad for him, actually. But I, th- I think he's happy with his lot. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with being typecast as someone who's the romantic lead in incredibly successful romantic movies i mean i'd um, take it yeah <laughs> and i think he would as well but like you, you you're right in that he's he's acted in some very different things over the years as well um but he did have those major sort of moments as um as as the romantic lead in these very british feeling romantic comedies um, yeah, and and his sort of career is very much tied to that of Richard Curtis and success in Richard Curtis films, um, and you kind of wonder where he could have ended up otherwise. But at the same time, he really did a great job in them, and and he became a household name and became a selling point across the world for romantic movies. And you can't really say that about many male leads. No, apart from The Rock. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, whenever The Rock's in a movie, I immediately think I have to see that film. Um, he's, yeah. he's never let us down and been in a bad movie ever. 
Have you been to see Skyscraper? I have not. Um, I have no interest in going to see Skyscraper. Die Hard in a Building, as it's being referred to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have no interest in um, in that. Well, film. friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, said it was very good, stupid fun. So, cool. fair play. Okay. Fair play to The Rock. Because, um, you know, The Rock's been in such great movies as The Doom Movie and Baywatch. Oh, and, yeah. And Pain and Gain. We um, don't talk about Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> Baywatch is a real piece of shit. Even though I spent last week talking about how much I absolutely detested PS I Love You, I think Baywatch was still worse. Oh yeah, Baywatch was far worse than PS I Love You. You're just because letting... it was it was smug and smugness. Smugness honestly is the worst quality that a film can have, isn't it? <laughs> it's um, it's yeah, it's a terrible movie. I I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Um and um. And yeah, well, you know that we differ on on PS I Love You, but I have no problem with PS I Love You whatsoever. It's fine. Um, I absolutely have many problems with it. That's just because you're a bitter, let's not get a into bitter the old man who hates love, Paddy. That's what it is. You despise <laughs> yeah. love in all its forms. That's true. It's it's it was so true to Ireland that you feel like you have to, you know, denounce it. Yeah, it's a little too close to home. Yeah. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> um. Yeah, so so, uh, and and it is weird watching this movie back because you're right; it was a huge sensation. I mean, the the the, the song "Love Is All Around You" was number one for like how many me- how many weeks? It was like at least ten weeks, wasn't it? A fair chunk of that year, I would say. But also, I hadn't realised until I looked through the Wikipedia of it that it's a cover of a song by the Trogs. It is indeed, yeah. Who also did "Wild Thing." Another song that's been kind of infinitely and endlessly covered by anyone at all. Yes, um, and also another song that they did that then the cover versions were superior to, mm-hmm. <laughs> much like "Lovers All Around You," where the "Wet, Wet, Wet" song, although it drove everybody insane back in nineteen ninety four, um, it was a better version. Let's be honest. Yeah. Here. Um, and "Wet, Wet, Wet" is also a rubbish name for a band. "Wet, Wet, Wet" is a terrible name for a band, but I kind of love it in the same way that I love "Hot, Hot Heat." Where you're just like, that's such a silly name. I'll let them get away with it. It's it's yeah. it's, it's not got that nod and a wink of catfish and the bottle men that makes me want oh. to strangle myself with my own intestines. They can fuck right off, honestly. <laughs> awful band. That's the thing. Awful band with an awful name. <laughs> like I've tried to listen. I think we've probably had this conversation already, but I have tried to listen to their music, and it is honestly the blandest, like kind of just landfill teenagers playing guitars in a room music i'm genuinely baffled as to how they got successful (laughs) it makes no sense to me they're the kind of band that other people would like at uni and you'd kind of have to just accept that other people liked them and go along with it that kind of band that's what they are um and and thankfully they are not part of any rom-com as far as i'm aware so we will not have to put up with them that would podcast. be the worst rom-com ever, where the <laughs> front man who is called Van McCann, it would be him probably getting off with a bunch of women and being an unlikable douchebag. And then finding the one and being all like, I can change. And then yeah. some indie plays, but it's by them. Yeah. That's and the then uh, like they, they break up, but then she goes to the concert and he does a big romantic gesture from the stage. And then she goes, all right then. Paddy, why have you just explained the plot to Purple Rain and said that you hate it? <laughs> let's let's not mention Catfish and the Bottle Bed and Prince in the same breath. Let's not go into that kind of territory. Cat Prince and the Bottle Rain. <laughs> um, 
anyway, yeah, back to full weddings and a funeral, right? Um, the, it does not have prints in it. It does not, not have prints 20. in it. Not out of 20. No magician with a guitar. Um, but it does have a very, very strong um, supporting cast of people who are really likable and you really like his friendship group and you kind of wonder why they stick around with him. Yeah. And it's like you're supposed to believe that they're all these really close friends without there being even just like I think one or two scenes of them dicking around as a group of friends would have made the bit at the end where they're all there for him and being like, oh, we're such a good group of friends after he breaks off his wedding and jilts his bride. Um, it would have made that all the more powerful. But because it hadn't been explained that much because they were too busy focusing on his bumbling oath character rather than the friendship group, it fell flat for me. Oh, what, when they're all just sticking around? Yeah, and they're all like, we're such good friends, aren't we? We're all here for you. Yeah, yeah, friends, friends, friends forever, yeah. And then you're just like, well, no, all we've seen is you drinking at weddings and making shit jokes and Simon Callow (laughs) playing a character called Simon Callow. Are you saying you don't enjoy Simon Callow in this movie? No, he's, he's one of the more enjoyable parts of it, but he is only there to die. Yes. So that he can provide the emotional funeral poem moment. Like so much more of his character. You actually don't even need him to appear in it at all. Because the bits in the funeral where they're kind of reminiscing and talking about his personality. That was actually really good. And that actually did kind of get me going. I mean, it's a bit cheap that the main emotional impact of it comes from someone else's work. I.e. W.H. Jordan. But the bits leading up to it are still good. That That part of it I actually did like. Yeah, I thought I felt that that was probably the most authentic feeling part of the movie is the funeral. Um, and, and I didn't mind the fact that they read out, you know, that at the end, because that's what happens at funerals and people do readings. And it felt very apt for the for the characters. Yeah, um, I think I'm I'm being a bit mean because the heat wave has turned me into a monster. I was going to say this is like, a, this is a little bit mean, Paddy. Um, yeah, it, it felt very authentic. It felt very much like a. Um, a a an authentic uh funeral um and i and i mean that in a good way yeah oh no that that was that was good the funeral was definitely the best thing about it but yeah i wasn't really clear who simon callow's character was or what his relationship to any of them was or why he was there he seemed to be a fair bit older than them and that kind of thing even though in in reality he's not actually that much older than the rest of them (laughs) I think they grayed his hair up a bit. Yeah, well, I think he just looks a little bit older, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And and yeah, they sort of, they have all of those different moments of sort of like talking about his character and, and like, you. I don't really feel like you need to know where they all came from, all of these people that are friends together because it, you know, they're friends. That's all you need to know. You don't need to, you don't need to see, hey, remember when we met at, at yes. the post office <laughs> in 19... 19- 81 where i was hello buying... charles you yes. are my friend you are my friend and i have known <laughs> you for seven and a half years um and and i felt that like it would have been nice to see more moments of the friendship group together but i felt that the moments where they all were together all felt very very real and you kind of you you bought into the fact that they were all friends yeah um, i think maybe it was just that i actually wanted more of that than i did of charles and of some like you know jokes about stuff being funny because it's in a church we get it well yeah and and i feel like they they kind of miss misuse them in a little bit so Kristen scott thomas as fiona in this movie is fantastic 
Um, yep. What? Very underused. And again, as well, the moment when she kind of it's revealed that she she loves him and it's kind of unrequited. There's only one scene before that where it's really properly hinted at. And again, it felt like a bit of a yeah, it felt a bit cheap and a bit a bit deus ex machina just to provide that bit of extra drama. Again, I wanted more investment in that relationship for the payoff than I did in his oafishness. Yeah, that was it was much more interesting. And when she mentioned about, you know, loving one of the group, I thought, oh, are they going to build this up at all? But they they didn't. And it's kind of just mentioned and then she drops it and it's like, oh, okay. And it, and it feels strange because that's one of those things that you feel like could have been a huge dramatic moment. Um, but instead you're kind of thinking, A, why do you love Hugh Grant's character? B, why does Hugh Grant love Carrie so much? when fiona is clearly like much way more, more interesting and <laughs> interesting cool. and cool and doesn't live in america and isn't engaged to some other guy um it's it's yeah it's it's a weird one and obviously you know you can't decide who you love and everything but you know team no, team but... team fiona here team fiona yeah. right here can we oh can yeah we, can absolutely we, can we get hashtags for a movie from 1994 that nobody cares yeah. about anymore H- hashtag justice for fiona hashtag justice for fiona I, she I think is great. now that now that justice for fabrizio has died down <laughs> this I, is our, I mean we created this a, is monster. Our new campaign. We created a monster with justice for fabrizio that was all over the social medias um, yeah but yeah Kristen, Kristen scott thomas is, a, is an amazing actor herself um and yeah and like is always underused in everything um, but she's been in such incredible movies like Gosford Park, for instance. She's by far the most interesting part of Only God Forgives, which is a movie that I hate like. It's 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 very pretty, but it's kind of nonsensical and kind of boring. I haven't seen it. It's Ryan Gosling being weird, right? It's Ryan Gosling walking around looking a bit glum and then having his hands cut off, spoiler alert. Um it's 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 very violent in times, very boring in others, very pretty in others. And you kind of leave it thinking, I don't know why I watched this, but at the same time, it's very pretty. It, it's 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 more of an art house movie, and it probably shouldn't have had a a, a wide release. Um, but it's yeah, and and Kristen Scott Thomas is by far the most like dynamic part of the film, playing this matriarchal character, um, who is again like easily the strongest thing, and she's easy easily the strongest thing about um about four weddings and a funeral, apart from Simon Callow. Um, who is who is just lightning in this film, um, and and him and his relationship with with John Hannah's character Matthew is like that's like the sweetest sort of element of the movie I think, um, and and again it's kind of underused too. They they don't really they they, they don't really do enough with their side characters. No, there's a really good bit where he's kind of joking with all of them about being single and none of them getting married and stuff. And then he's like conning an American woman into believing that he knows Oscar Wilde or can get you his fax number, which that made me chuckle. But and then well, you're like, yes, give us more of that. Give us more of that. And then he dies. Yeah. And it's it's really it's kind of frustrating, I'd say, this film. Um, because there's all these elements that you can see that that, that Richard Curtis refined in later movies and you can see sort of like their fledgling elements here but then they're not dealt with quite right yeah um and so it's kind of a little bit flat it's long and it's flabby it's nearly two hours long and it's it could have done with a bit more of a hard cut but i think as well it as i understand it it was made for only three million pounds which i think even in 1994 money that's not a lot of money to make a film 
if you think about it, it compare that to six million dollars around the same time that Tommy Wiseau was making the room. I'd say that that <laughs> roughly it probably cost less to make than you, the room. You say around the same time, it's pretty much a decade later, wasn't it? The room. Yeah, you know, what's a decade between friends? <laughs> no, but I mean in two thousand and three, money six oh, million dollars yeah. is yeah. yeah, kind of not far off. But, but, you but yeah, want, you I want think to know how no, much it made at the box office. The room. No, four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> it made a shitload, didn't it? It made two hundred and forty-five million dollars at the box office. So that's a pretty incredible return on your investment, isn't it? It was an absolute monster for weddings and a funeral. Um, an absolute beast at the box office. It made so much money. Um, I think. I think generally, it was quite well received by by critics as well. Um, yeah say like who who quite enjoyed it whereas now it does feel quite dated in a way yeah, that no. other movies from the time don't it feels very tame very mild i'm just looking at the list here of um most popular imdb's most popular feature films released in 1994 um i mean the lion king doesn't seem dated at all the lions are still pretty real to me i don't know about you yes yeah although i would say that it has aged worse than Aladdin, where I can watch, I can I can watch The Lion King and not always be entertained. Whereas Aladdin, I can put on and just love it every that's, single time. Oh, that's 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 controversial. I think I love them both equally, actually. They're like your children. Yeah, The Lion King was the first film I ever saw in the cinema, so I think I feel very attached to it. Oh right, okay. I don't yeah. know what the first movie was that I saw in the cinema. I remember my grand taking me one day to the cinema in Kingston that was like a proper old cinema and had all the like Art Deco stuff going on, and then they turned it into the Oceana. <laughs> and Oceanas are now, as we've discussed before, they're all gone. They're all called Prism. They're all called yeah, where they are. I think I think they're now sort of split up between various different things. Um, yeah. So 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 yeah popular feature films released in 1994 you've got films like the shawshank redemption um that's pulp, a great pulp film. fiction from your favorite ever director paddy <laughs> poop um, fiction more like <laughs> interview with the vampire which is an incredible film not seen that it, it's, it's fantastic still one of the best horror movies ever made probably the best vampire movie ever made um brad pitt and tom cruise at their best kirsten dunst with her breakout role oh antonio okay. banderas as a vampire it's got everything um yeah. You got Forrest Gump? I have never seen Forrest Gump. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think it's an interesting time for films like this where they're of the PG-13 variety where I wouldn't have been old enough to have seen them at the time but they were ne- they weren't good enough to have been watched again at any time in my family or wherever I was going to see films. Yeah, but I, I think Four Weddings and a Funeral fell down that gap see, as well. See Four Weddings and a Funeral we had on video and that's where I saw it. Um and and Forrest Gump, I think the first time I saw that was when it came to to, to terrestrial television. Um, also on this list, we have Street Fighter the movie. Oh fuck um, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's better than all of them. His <laughs> <laughs> star rating is three point yes. eight. Uh, the Mask. <laughs> um, Somebody stop me. True Lies, which is a great little James Cameron movie where he tries to make Arnold Schwarzenegger into James Bond and nearly makes it work. Yep. It's a really fun fun action movie that so different to titanic but only a few years in between yeah yeah um very very different movie and very different from the kind of films that arnold schwarzenegger was making as well 
Um, it was it was kind of an action comedy, but it was much more sort of bombastic than either his action movies or his comedy movies, where a lot of his action movies were very gritty um, or, or very overly camp. Um, whereas, yeah, True Lies is kind of, it's kind of a cool film. It's a cool little film. Um, Dumb and Dumber as well. Oh, yeah. Fantastic film. Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Excellent film. Um, That's got a very low meta score, which I'm very people, about. People despised it. Um, great movie apart from all the transphobia at the end yeah, um, yeah. but you know we'll ignore that and we'll ignore the racism in the Ace Ventura sequel yeah <laughs> two, I don't think very we should be watching that movies. yeah um, and, not and, good not good for now and yeah so you've got all yeah. of these movies in 1994 it feels like it was a year of fearless filmmaking where you've got all of these very powerful very unique films that have stood the test of time. And, and Jim Carrey's films, he released three great movies that year because The Mask came out that year as well. Um, but then you've got... so And you've got sort of like very strange films like Natural Born Killers as well. Um, but then you've got Four Weddings and a Funeral, which feels very... I don't know. It feels very one-paced. It feels, feels quite um, one-dimensional di- as well. What's interesting is we were, I think the, the IMDb list, I would guess that that's a large, is that a global, that's kind of a global list in terms of popularity, in terms of ratings that people have done on the internet, I suppose. Yeah. <coughs> so we were ending up with a lot of American films there, whereas this was a British smash, but also took off in America. But if you look at this list of the ratings, um, Four Weddings is number 23, you know below it's below the bus that couldn't slow down <laughs> and um <laughs> it's also one below angels in the outfield which we watched recently and is pretty dire <laughs> even though i love a baseball film it's it's not great it's quite silly it's it's yeah it's it's strange isn't it because it was such a huge sensation well angels um, in the outfield no <laughs> well <laughs> a, a huge sensation with with paddy johnston and his crowd of of unruly misfits um yeah but it but four weddings was such a huge sensation with people um that it's weird that it's kind of just it it, it has kind of disappeared a little bit and it and it's still got this kind of you know if you mention four weddings people know what you're talking about and and they yeah. see it as this classic of the genre but it hasn't really maintained its status in the same focused finite way that other richard curtis movies have yeah and that's exactly why i wanted to go back to 1994 and look at what else was going on around that time because maybe it was just because there was fuck all else going on you know i mean the tories were in power so i guess that wasn't so good but (laughs) john major was kind of flapping his way out but everything was just about okay politically but also there wasn't as much choice it was still the vhs era you know it was easier, I think, to have a kind of a talking point. And I guess it was probably quite different to any films that had come before that point from British writers and British directors. Yes. And and I, I find it weird because it clearly it clearly struck a chord with with foreign audiences, particularly in America. And you can kind of understand like, OK, yes, this very British movie has this great novelty appeal. I think it was released at Christmas time as well, wasn't it? So it's got that going for it as well. Um, and so you can see why it stuck around so well there, but it was incredibly popular in the UK as well. And it's like, well, if, is it just kind of like because it was British and successful? Do you think that that played a part in it that, you know, we should celebrate something homemade 
that has been so popular across the world. Yeah, there's de- there's definitely an element of that. And I'm looking at now the list of British films of 1994, and there aren't many that were really big hits. You know, you got you got Black Beauty. That's a that's a family that's a family film, isn't it? It's not quite the same thing. You got The Madness of King George, very very fascinating and interesting story, but not a kind of big popular hit. And then there aren't really any in there that are even half as well known. But then you go to the IMDb list and it's all these huge American hits. So I think actually the British people were probably really, really happy that this film came out that they could relate to. It is very relatable and you've got to hand that to Richard Curtis. Everyone, at least above a certain age, will have been to a wedding and been, gone through those things and had those conversations and had those kind of relationships even or those kind of problems. So from that point of view, that's how he. That's why he's successful, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and you're right. It people were able to see it and see something of themselves in it um which is which is really you know it is quite important in these kind of films um and yeah i there was a slump in british movies in in the 1990s in particular um and i suppose this kind of it was a real standout it made it made people sit up and take notice of british cinema again Yes, um, which you know it's 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 really important, and it and it and it holds a, a an importance because of that. Even if the film itself hasn't aged so well, um, the fact that it it did put British cinema back on the map a little bit, um, is is quite incredible. Yeah, so you you've got to hand it to it. I just I mean I guess yeah, just it takes so much more to do that these days, doesn't it? I know I, that's kind of what I always say about these kind of things, but yeah, it's that's that's kind of what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, and I I would say that it's easier to get an audience just because of the way that um, media works now, and, and British cinema is, although there has been a bit of a, a a downplay in it because of the sort of reduction in funding available through the British Film Institute and things like that, um, that it's still in a pretty strong position i'd say oh yeah um, and, and, absolutely. and british directors are being able to are, are being given a voice which is which is really great to see and 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 things like netflix and stuff like that they definitely help in that regard but in terms of becoming a a huge smash like four weddings and a funeral taking on that level now particularly with the with the power behind comic book movies and things like that it's very difficult yeah definitely the 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 Curtis verse just can't compete, can it? <laughs> or the the Granty verse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, and it's 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 interesting to think about it in that way. Um, it's it's a film that perhaps its legacy is more to do with what it stood for than the movie it actually created and the, and the movie that it was based around. That that's absolutely it, and I think as well the supporting cast and the lead characters all went on to do bigger and better things. But because it was the film that launched them, people will always remember it fondly in that way. It's sort of like the early albums of a band who who get really big later on or bigger later on that are good, but their later stuff is better when they really hit their stride. It's a it's a bit of that I think because Hugh Grant's acting in this film is quite ropey I've got to say him and Andy McDowell are both pretty wooden yeah they are the easily the least enjoyable characters in the movie and and the sort very of, awkward the, the chemistry that they try to build really isn't there when you compare it to other movies 
Um, and it's quite strange to see that this is the person who Hugh Grant would abandon a wedding for. Um, when you don't really get much of a sense apart from him saying that he is in love with her. You don't really get that sense from the way that they interact. Yeah, he says he's in love with her and we're expected to believe it. There's only one scene where they show true intimacy, I think, which is where they're in, there's, there's a sort of coffee shop scene. Um, it's after the first time they've slept together, but it's the second time, I think, I, maybe he runs into her or something and they, they're they in this restaurant just chatting. And there's a little bit of back and forth finding out about each other, but then it becomes a montage. And then you're like, oh, okay, don't don't actually invest in them developing intimacy, just cut straight to the sex and then cut <laughs> cut from that straight into him being in love with her enough that he would call off his wedding to someone else i mean paddy like, paddy that that's how love works don't you know montage montage sex love that's how it works <laughs> that's how it works in the real world well where, where's my montage <laughs> i want a montage i want a montage <laughs> um yeah and it it's yeah it's it's weird isn't it it doesn't really feel like it's very well paced whatsoever no, the pacing is very, very strange and very odd. And also, it's similar to again a comment I made about the Bridges of Madison County that made it feel that where I did agree with you that it dragged was the lack of incidental music. And this film has hardly any, apart from any time that the two of them are on stage together. This like really weirdly emotional Eva Cassidy esque like piano music creeps in. And you're just like, oh, all right, yeah, we get it. They're going to fall in love. <laughs> but then the rest of the time, there's no there's no like pumping music or little bits of music or themes or anything. And I think actually, had it had that kind of score, even like Love Actually or Notting Hill, that would have really, really made a huge difference, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it it does miss that kind of stuff. and it And it does feel quite lacking in that regard. It does feel almost like a two hour long like tv pilot yeah it's almost how it, it feels. feels like a first draft yeah yeah exactly it's it, even th- though apparently a... he he went through 37 drafts it, was, it, it, it does it feels like a proof of concept more than anything else um and you know it's a proof of concept that went on to create bigger and better things which is great um but yeah it's um it's an interesting one it's it's a strange film that's also kind of boring at the same time. Yeah. It go it goes on much longer than it should. The scenes all take too long. It's it's kind of flat. The acting's quite wooden. The jokes don't land really. Like the priest says holy goat instead of holy ghost and that's about as funny as it gets. Yeah, that you know? scene dragged really badly yeah. where it's just lots of him misspeaking. Um and, and I like Rowan Atkinson. Yes. But I think he's just he he let Richard Curtis have his cheap way with him a lot in the nineties. <laughs> well, what I'm trying to think of other things that have misused him that Richard Curtis has been a part of. And I can't maybe, really maybe it's of, not just Richard Curtis. I can't really think of I can't really think of other areas where Richard Curtis because he he's very good in his little cameo in Love Actually. He's very funny in that. Obviously yeah. you've got Blackadder, you've got Mr. Bean. Um, the Mr. Bean films weren't that great, were they? No, but I'm not sure how much Richard Curtis had to do with those. No, and then you've got Johnny English, which has nothing to do with Richard Curtis, as far as I'm aware. No. But it's not good. But we'll blame Richard Curtis for it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any any British film you can trace back to Richard Curtis in less than three moves. He's he's the British version of Kevin Bacon. Um, yeah. 
But what I find interesting is how is how some of the cast was misused. So like you said, Rowan Atkinson is kind of misused in this. Annie McDowell isn't that great in this movie, but she's like shown her her acting chops previously. So like Sex Lies and Videotapes, a really interesting film. Groundhog Day is great. Um, and it's like, well, it's it's weird because she's shown chemistry and she's shown the ability to act incredibly well in other movies. But here it does feel quite wooden and strange. Um, I th- and I think that is more to do with the, the wooden lines that she's been given. She's not given much to chew on, I think. Yes. Yeah, that is true. And I think it's it's also partly because her character really is a bit of just a, a sex object for Hugh Grant's character that we're supposed to then believe is love, isn't it? It's it's there's not enough development put into her. It's all from his point of view. It's his story, isn't it? Yeah, and and I'd say that they don't really develop his character either. Um they're they're kind of about as one dimensional as each other. So I wouldn't say that she's just an additional part of his story. They're both kind of additional parts of this story that's being told. Um, yeah. But they don't they don't really have much to say to each other or much to do. Um, so much so that I'd love to know how much screen time is actually spent between the two of them because it can't be much of the runtime. No, it's it's a relatively low number. It's mostly him getting up late and saying fuck and then being disheveled and awkward yes and also random other people as well there's all sorts of random stuff in this movie even though yeah even though it's it's about two hours long it feels very disjointed and there's no real central focus whatsoever it kind of just drifts around. like what what is his relationship with scarlet yeah they're 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 room buddies they're roommates yeah. but who kind of sleep in the same room or don't like had walk around in their pants or whatever or act kind of act like a couple but they're just roomies i I wasn't quite sure about that i mean it was fine it maybe that's what happened in the 90s a lot yeah everyone was just walking around in their pants (laughs) it's true it's true that's what happened in the 90s i did like that it had um inspector fowler from the thin blue line yes what's yeah. that guy i can never remember that guy's name but it's it's gratifying to know that he was bald even then <laughs> <laughs> he looks exactly the same in everything the bald mustache it was yeah it was he was really it, it's really funny to see him in stuff um david haig i think his name is yeah um, oh, that's got good rowan atkinson in it the thin blue line yes yeah that's that's great um and um and, and and there are moments in this movie that really work quite well um like that terrible the terrible um like man and woman who sing bad oh yeah folk music <laughs> um, so that's very good and there's loads of men wearing those like overly large bill hicks glasses which yes, i love yeah. yeah um it's it's yeah there are there are some funny moments in here it's 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 it, and I think it's those moments where it kind of shows things that you recognise from real life, and that are still true today, so which 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 really hit home. And unfortunately, like the it feels as though the actual sort of like plot of it has already become quite outdated. Yeah, it, the it really nailed the awkwardness of singing hymns. I'll give it that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's people who don't know the words, people who sing too quietly, people who sing too loudly, and then people who are just out of tune. And they're all coming together in this glorious mess. That that came early on and did strike a nice, light-hearted tone at the beginning of the film. 
Yeah, and, and that was really true. And someone who never really sings hymns, when I'm at a like at your wedding where I had to sing hymns, I was like, oh my god, what am I doing? I'm I'm a heathen. I know nothing of of God music whatsoever. <laughs> and you just... I should have given you the tabs. <laughs> um and you kind of you've got to roll with it if you're not familiar with it and and you do get those people that really know it and that really belt it out and then you've got people like me who kind of fumble their way through um and 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 yeah it really does does get those marks quite right it and but unfortunately not all of it quite works no because that is followed up later on by a a lot of bagpipes and yeah (laughs) I can't be dealing with bagpipes. Where are the bagpipes at your wedding, Paddy? They were in the bin. <laughs> I hate the scritching, scratching. It's, <laughs> it's not a nice sound. It is not a nice sound. The only acceptable time to have bagpipes is in Scotland, played yeah. by a professional. Uh, the appropriate time to throw bagpipes is in the bin is when you're in London and there's someone busking with bagpipes. And it's the Have you ever the seen summer. that? Yeah, the last time I was up in London, um, but I got the tube. There was someone with bagpipes, and they're just like, "Oh my god, what is going on?" This Wait, is the on worst. the tube, uh, not on the tube, but at a tube station. Okay, it was, it was, it was the worst. Oh yeah, I've seen that before in one of the designated busking spots, no less. Yes, yeah. And you're like, why London? Why do you do this? Why do you do this to me? Yeah, London really, really feels like a hellhole in this heat everything everyone you walk past it's just like why are you here get out of my way go away (laughs) um so yeah another thing to point out is um directed by mike newell Mm -hmm. um, who also directed donnie brasco which is an incredible movie oh i had not made that connection yeah um and he did one of the harry potter movies yep um he also did prince of persia the sounds of time which is a movie oh, that I feel is yeah. very, very underrated, and I quite enjoy it. With Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I, I think it's quite a fun little fantasy romp where yeah. they go on an adventure. But but and and I'm a big fan of the Prince of Persia games as well. But um, but it is it is almost universally reviled by video game fans, which I think is quite yeah. strange. Oh, he did um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, yes. which is I think one of the best films actually. Although it's based on, in in my wife's opinion, the best book in the series. Not that I think it's really necessarily fair to have a best book because the story arc is so important to it, but it's, it is one of the better films, I think. I'd say it's the best book in the series as well. That's the one with with um, with the big dragon and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best. It's book. Big big dragon, Triwizard Tournament. Uh, after that, things started getting it too far into the emo angst, and too yeah. much was spent on Harry Potter hating himself and saying, "Why am I the chosen one?" Oh, my scar hurts. Where? Why does no? Why does everyone love me? Why does nobody yeah. love me? Life is so I, hard. Uh, I don't want to play Quidditch. Life is so hard in a world where we can just conjure up whatever we want. Shall we use it to solve world poverty? Nah, nah. <laughs> let's not do that. <laughs> Screw the Muggles. Well, you think about it. The wizards are the fucking worst. They're aren't terrible. They? Like people talk about Voldemort being bad, but actually, all of them are complicit in in like everybody dying around the world they can literally magic up food out of nowhere yeah they could solve all of the world's problems with a flick of their wands but instead they decide that they want to fly some fucking brooms around and catch a golden ball there's like there's one scene i think quite early on in harry potter and the philosopher's stone when harry asks hagrid like 
Well, why don't the wizards all come out of hiding and um, and solve everyone's problem and like you know solve all this kind of thing and help the muggles? And Hagrid's just like, no, you know, the muggles would be wanting magical solutions to all of their problems, and it's like, yeah, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's why Harry asked it. Um, so it's like maybe the wizards are actually like right-wing libertarian selfish assholes I'm, who don't want to share anything i was gonna say they would all vote for jacob reese mogg given the chance every yeah. single wizard even the so-called <laughs> poor ones like the weasleys would be like you know what? well there, there's a link there it's um i was discussing jacob reese mogg with my friend pengles who's the pitcher on our softball team when i'm not pitching and he's very good um and he said that jacob reese mogg was like a cross between harry potter and himmler <laughs> harry himmler <laughs> which i think is completely fair that's true that's true um but yeah no wizards if there's any wizards listening what are you doing come on give us your fucking magic (laughs) there's people literally dying of starvation (laughs) and you're having fun wearing robes and going "Woo, i'm a wizard get out you're you're the worst the quidditch world cup can wait like people get angry at Elon Musk for not solving the world's problems and instead I mean he's the closest with... thing we've got to a wizard, right? <laughs> well that's what you think, Paddy, but wizards are real. I got my <laughs> I got my acceptance letter through to Hogwarts and I just wrote a big fuck you on it and sent it back saying I'm not gonna buy into your capitalist society, you bastards. You're a very principled ten year old. I was very principled. I was like, you know what, fuck you. <laughs> get out. I'm not getting your magic train. Um, in uh, I think I've discussed this with you before. Welcome to the to the Pottercast, by the way, everybody. But welcome to the We Hate Wizards podcast. But the ultimate <laughs> form of battle against against the evil. What are they called? The Death Eaters. The Death Eaters. Wand yeah. in one hand, big fucking hammer in the other. Because you'll often get into one of those duels where you're both holding your wands at each other, going and edging ever closer. What you do is you just run at them like with your wand up doing the little fruity magic and then just bash their head in with a hammer <laughs> problem <Fruity> solved magic. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like problem solved you know they're going around being like aha i'm going to shock you with my magic wand to be like well i've got a big hammer i'm gonna bash your head in cave it in <laughs> i think they'd also be able to use the fruity magic to hold you off from doing that you know there's like a shield effect isn't yeah, there? yeah but that's a shield against magic it's not a shield against a big hammer like go down your harry potter right mate Listen up, listen up. I know this is a very long time. I know, you, I know you listen to the podcast every week. <laughs> I mean, he's a big fan, isn't he? And like, I know you're busy with... Uh, he, he becomes an aura, doesn't he, or something like that. Yeah, well, no, although if you follow the timeline, having now been to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, if you follow the timeline, I think in 2018, Harry Potter would be about 40-odd. Yeah, because it all happens in the he's, 90s, um, Yeah, he's the chief. He's the head of the aura office. Yeah, exactly. And Hermione's Minister for Magic. Exactly. So listen up, Harry, right? Yeah. You've got... You've got You've got control over these things. What you want to do is you want to tell all your guys, right, you've got your wands. That's all great. That's brilliant. That's, that's, really, that's really great. You know, gold love, stars. Love the work. Do. Love the work. You're doing well. You're, you're fighting off griffins and shit. I don't know. Um, but Hippogriffs, please. Chain, change of plan. You've got your wand. It's great. Second holster on your little wizard belt. Go down the garden shed. Pick out the best hammer. Give it a go. See what happens. But you know, hammers are a muggle tool. I think that we'll need to collaborate with them. We'll need to send the wizards some hammers. Yeah, because wizards wouldn't be able to know what a hammer is because they just use their wand to like bash in nails. They're like, what is this thing that's heavy? It's like, you use it to... Well, just tell them that it's an, a, a, a beater, but 
it's you know yeah covered in metal well actually a a, a um a beater would do wouldn't it it would, it would do. have the same effect but I mean, like a, ba- a like a baseball a bat. hammer would be better because you've got the big metal end to it or cover I... a cover a beater in barbed wire and then attack the Death Eaters with it. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just that saying, sounds like the most ambitious crossover event in history. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? If the Death Eaters came around here and were all like Avada Kedavra, they wouldn't be able to say that before I'd bashed their heads in because I have a hammer. <laughs> You're quick with the hammers. This is this is a massive flaw in the story of Harry Potter. Um, the wizards would come for the Muggles, and the Muggles would be like, "Not on my watch, matey. Go down the shed." <laughs> Get a trowel out, trowel them to death. <laughs> any garden a tra- a trowel, instrument, a hammer, any, yeah. any any instrument around the home would do the trick. It's just the one. Yeah, mate. you can do any it. muggle with a garden wouldn't wouldn't be having it. Literally would wreck them. Voldemort would be all like, "No, please." It's like it doesn't matter if you've got Horcrux after I've cut your hands off with a pair of garden shears, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Harry Potter fans, please write in and tell me how wrong I am in my assumption. But you well, can't. no, I I love Harry Potter. You know, it's very close to my heart. But I'm willing to entertain the notion at least that the wizards are actually randy and assholes. <laughs> but just just imagine, right, that Voldemort and Harry are having their fight to the death at the end of the Deathly Hallows, and then Neville just walks up with a giant hammer and just bam, and then it's like, Bonk. do it, Harry, do it whilst he's bleeding on the ground. Get him. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> Kick the shit out of him with your wand, Harry. This is Guy Ritchie's Harry Potter <laughs> and the Deathly Hallows. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would work. It would totally work. Yeah. Um, Guy Ritchie's another director who can get in the bin. <laughs> Although, um, his his new his Robin Hood movie looks like one of the worst things to come out soon. He's done a Robin Hood movie? It looks really quite something. It's almost like they're... It, it's it's really strange because it's set back in ye medieval days, but it's oh, also okay. got all of that Guy Ritchiness. It's, it's not set in 2018 Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would be great if you imagine someone just going around Nottingham stealing stuff. Yeah, being like this guy's a public menace. Um, yeah, actually, someone make that movie. That would be really funny. Um, yeah, but yeah, they no, still have sheriffs up there, right? It, it looks really bad, like very bad. Um, but he did do that King Arthur movie, which actually was quite good fun. Okay, yes, I think you've told me this before. I have not seen it, and I always assumed that it was a travesty. Jude Law plays a wrongan, and his wrongan is is really funny, and he's like chewing up the scenery. He's brilliant. Um, and yeah, it's all right. It's all right. His old, uh, his old yeah. King Arthur Legend of the Sword. All right, underrated then. film. Uh, I'm willing to give it a go. Yeah, it's all right. Um, do you have? <laughs> we've gone on for on a massive tangent of bludgeoning wizards to death yeah. with hammers. Um, Thanks to Mike Newell <laughs> for you, being the link there. Do, do you have anything else to say about four weddings? Um, let me see. It's, it feels like a bit of a cop out that you have the funeral and then suddenly it's ten months later and suddenly he's marrying the ex girlfriend and you're supposed to believe that. Again, it's like I wanted to believe that a bit more, but I felt like that was only there so that he could not marry her so he could eventually get with Andy McDowell and for it to have that bit more impact. You know, again, like I felt like the, the storytelling was just a bit a bit disjointed and a bit off yeah, off the wall, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. It's all and and clearly they're going for that 
little snapshots in time here and there um but it doesn't quite doesn't quite work really um it it doesn't re- it doesn't leave it feeling quite disjointed yeah and like everything worked out for him but not for all the women the women that he left in his wake including the woman that he'd already dumped once and made her cry and then he jilted her at the altar what asshole he's an asshole she's also a terrible human being so i don't feel too bad for her it's what did she do she was just nasty to his friends and was quite irritating oh okay um well, that's, and that's so, fair like, enough then you know she his, his actions are horrible but at least he didn't do it to someone nice yeah um yeah the the old scottish man who andy mcdowell marries is clearly a gammon that was <laughs> never gonna last pure gammon <laughs> although can you be a scottish gammon you can yeah i'm trying to think of an alternative I mean, some of them must have voted for Brexit. Some of them did, yeah. It was one of the lowest areas for Brexit voting in Scotland, wasn't it? They, yeah. they knew what was up. They knew that it was bullshit. Um, but S- Scottish UKIP does exist. It does exist. It is a laughing stock of Scotland, but it does exist. Um, yeah, but but like calling them like haggis or something isn't fair because haggis is cool. Yeah, haggis is nice. Haggis is really lovely. I would eat the heck out of some haggis. Yeah, if you gave me some haggis right now, I'd be all over it. Haggis is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so that doesn't really feel fair. Maybe we should just call them deep fried gammon. Deep fried gammon. Yeah. Yeah. Scottish gammon. I could go for that. Gammon. And he would definitely be a deep fried gammon, that fella. Yeah. He looked a bit deep fried. He did look a bit deep fried, actually. I have to say, I'm not sure what Andy McDowell was doing with him because he was ugly and rude, and clearly a deep fried gammon. Yeah. And everyone in this film is posh. Yes. It's a posh people movie. That's what because Britain's that's like. the, the Curtis verse. Yes. Yeah. Everyone in all, this is This is why. But these kind of films are exactly why Americans think that all British people are posh. <laughs> they but haven't all, seen the gammon. All British people are posh. Yeah, this is this is true. We all, we all play polo. Nando's is the greatest restaurant in the world. Several yep. Michelin stars. <laughs> Um, but Hugh Grant is always going down for a cheeky Nando's. <laughs> yeah, he loves it. You get me that berry berry. He pronounces it Nando's. Nando's. <laughs> Nondwa. <laughs> um. Um. Yes, I think I think that's all that I really have to say. Although I like that he gets punched. Yes, that is well deserved. And that, yeah, the kind of the reaction to that or kind of how you would go through a jilting seemed realistic enough to me, I suppose. Yeah. Not, s- not something one should have to contemplate, of no, course. But... No, I wonder what would happen if I was jilted. I'd probably put two fingers up to everybody and just be like, I'm out here, motherfuckers. I would definitely moon out. the entire congregation. Yeah, I'd turn to the side of whoever jilted me and just be like, fuck you all. This is all your fault. Yeah, and then yes, moon them all. That that's what would happen. Yeah, and then go to the reception and party on my own. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that nobody else can come. <laughs> eat all the cake. I'd, dance I'd to all you, the shit songs. I, it would be you, me, and Rob Sherman. That's what. That's who I'd have. All uh, right. That that would be that would be good. Yeah, it would just be us dancing and crying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just like any time we meet. Us. I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, so I've got, I've got some, I've got some trivia here. Yep. So, so Hugh Grant learnt British Sign Language for the scenes with his brother. 
Yes, that was good, I think. And it seemed that that actor is, is deaf yes, and has appeared in some other things. So I think that was a good and inclusive thing. It didn't seem tokenistic when it very well could have done. So I actually thought that was good. Yeah, and, and and Richard Curtis movies in general are actually pretty good at having that kind of inclusivity without it feeling overbearing. Um, yeah. Which is actually quite rare in movies of this kind. Um, and, and yeah, that's like a perfect example of it where they never make a big deal out of it. He's just deaf and that's it. And you just see that the other characters like just there's 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 nothing made of it it's, it's not a point of the film it's just there which i think is a really good way to include that kind of element to a film yeah um so so backstories are given in a deleted scene apparently uh, um, so charles okay. matthew and fiona were at university together and gareth was a lecturer uh, um scar uh, so is, is he a, a pervy lecturer do we think <laughs> Uh, the Scarlet was found under Charles's kitchen table after a party and lived there ever since. Um, Andy McDowell, she did a Han Solo here. She did a Harrison Ford. She waived her fee for appearing in the film and instead took a percentage of the cut. Ooh. So she eventually made $2 million off this movie. Excellent. Um, whereas Hugh Grant just got $100,000 for appearing in it. Well, fair play to her. Well done. Which, yeah, you know, that's a very savvy move. And clearly she recognised that this was going to be something special. Um, which, yeah, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's the the first British film since A Fish Called Wanda to top the US box office charts. Interesting. Um, which is a, a fun little movie, Fish Called Wanda. It's the one where John Cleese smells his own socks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's the one about the, the bank robbery. Um, yeah, with, with John Cleese and Kevin Klein and Jamie Lee Curtis, which they it's then, quite silly. It's a very silly good. movie. Um, and then they did a film that was almost exactly the same called Fierce Creatures a few years later, where it was all at the zoo, yeah. and that was also very funny. Yeah, good. I have a lot of time for Kevin Klein. Yes, yeah, I have a lot of time for him as well. It's great. Um, and and yeah, so yeah, that that'll probably do for the old. Uh... Cool. No, it is a film that has some some of those interesting things in context, and yeah, box office performance and the time and all that kind of stuff is all very very interesting. But ultimately, watching it now, it feels very dated, and I think we're used to films being paced better and acted better, and that kind of stuff just doesn't. It's the things that carried it back then aren't enough to carry it back, aren't enough to carry it now. I think so. It just it's a bit flat now. I don't actually recommend watching it now there's better stuff out there better use of your time yes yeah i i agree it's a it's a nice little historical monument to the beginning of richard curtis's dominance of the world of romantic movies um yeah but has it has it stood the test of time i'd say no i'd say no but also that's because it was made before the bridges of madison county that's like that's the cutoff isn't it (laughs) midway through 1995 is when things start to get good it's true. They reached the lowest point of cinema ever and thought, you know what, we've got to pull our socks off. <laughs> Let's never let this happen again. <laughs> I'm just imagining all of the heads of Hollywood turning around and saying like, who let this happen? We were supposed to be watching out for something yeah. this bad sneaking through. You had one job, Barry. <laughs> Barry. He's like, sorry, 
Clint Eastwood was real nice to me. <laughs> he cried in the rain. I thought it was emotional. Yeah, I believed him. No. Okay. Well, how how are we going to rate this then? Um. Mm, how many weddings would you go to in a summer? Mm, yeah. Versus your ratio to one funeral. Yes. <laughs> weddings per funeral. Ha- yeah. Weddings per funeral. Yeah. I'm going to give it. Let's see. I'm going to give it a nine out of twenty. Ooh. I feel like I feel like I am. I'm me. I've been mean the last few weeks because of the heat wave and has made me an angry and grumpy person. But yeah, I don't think it's quite even halfway there for me. It was. It was quite. It wasn't a, that enjoyable an experience really. It was just quite flat and. That's um. Yeah, that's that's mean, Paddy. Oh, I did not expect that. I've become I've become a mean man. <laughs> what, what we should do, yeah, if we want a film to get a good rating, is just watch it in the winter. That's it's the... true. Yeah, if we want to get a good rating from you. And I think actually, if you look at the ratings of the films that we watched over Christmas, that does that does bear out because I think I gave Elf an unreasonably high score. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um. Yeah, so I'm going to give it an 11. Yeah. Um it's yeah, it's uh it's it's a fine movie. Um I I didn't really enjoy it as much as I was hoping I was going to, but it serves its purpose. Um and you know, it's it does the job. Yeah. It's it's all right. Yeah. I think yeah, the the difference in points between us reflects the fact that I just I'm not enjoying much cinema at the moment because I can't cool down. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm watching it at home at least. We went last Friday to see The Incredibles 2 at the weird cineplex in the shopping center in Woking, which is a pretty awful cinema, but it was air conditioned, so that was fine. It it's a delightful film and I highly recommend it. Oh, there we go. Although the it was the last day of school and we went to the time when all of the teenagers had literally just got out of school. So there was a lot of whooping and hollering and clapping and cheering uh. and just unreasonable, boisterous noise. Nothing nothing like violent or aggressive or anything. Just just a lot of making noise for the sake of it. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> it's out. a film for six-year-olds. Why are you even here? Why are you here watching this? Yeah, because yeah. surely they should be at the point where it's supposed to be too cool. Well, they I think they were they're not quite old enough to get into any of the other like scary or sexy films. They're maybe like thirteen or fourteen, so it's that there's at the level where they've just discovered that they can do things on their own and that they have a certain level of autonomy, but where they don't they aren't quite old enough to be self aware. Okay, yeah. It's a very toxic age. I get you, I get you. Um... Yeah. But The Incredibles two is good. Cool, okay. And we're going to see Mamma Mia 2 at some point this week, oh, I think. Mamma Mia. Yeah. Do you have any plans to see it? Potentially, yeah. I think Katie... Is it coming to your local um, art house cinema? It, it is actually coming to our local art house cinema. Um, I think cool. Katie might be going with her mum, though, so I may well be missing out on seeing it at the cinema. Uh, 
Um, cool, because I feel like we should, we probably should do an episode on it if we can. It's true. Not necessarily right now, but like I feel like it would be a good one. Yeah. Mm. I wonder if I can gate crash going to see Mamma Mia. I feel like you could. I will keep you posted on that. Let me know. I will let you know. Um. Yeah, it would be good, cool. and I, I am intrigued to see it. Yeah, me too. I've I've heard good things. I've heard it's actually doing better than the first one, which is very very interesting. But I think we're in a different time now, aren't we? People are less snobby about popular culture. People are more interested in this kind of cheesy similar cinema. Musicals are doing well. You know, it's people are yeah. People are much. The the concept of guilty pleasures has been, I think, significantly eroded in the time between those two films, and I think that's what has made the difference. Yeah. Also, Pierce Brosnan. Obviously, Pierce Brosnan. Um, he, he is, is the best. He is the greatest of all time. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. But what are we going to watch next? So it is. It is a little bit. Um, it's a little bit cold at the moment. Uh, it's a little bit hot at the moment. <laughs> I, say, I wish it was. <laughs> So I feel like I feel like we should take some time to cool off a little bit and and maybe go on a a little bit of a summer break. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we, we should... should watch Frozen. <laughs> the chairlift one. <laughs> yes. Not the Disney one. <laughs> Not the Disney one. The chairlift one. Um I feel like we should go and watch Chalet Girl. Oh, cool okay. Off a little bit. Go to the mountains. I have seen this film before. As have I. I think I have thoughts. As yep, I also have thoughts. Cool. Um, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good uh, choice. Let, let's try and cool ourselves down by looking at some snow. I think that's very good. I think most people will appreciate that. At first, they'll be like, "What the fuck are you doing watching that film in the summer?" <laughs> but then they'll be like, "Oh, it makes sense. You know, it like, makes then, sense." Then you will be watching it, dear listeners, and you'll be sweating like a dog. And you'll be like, you know what? Actually, I feel that much colder because I'm here and I'm watching a movie and it's all got ice everywhere. It's going to be great. Yep. Good choice. Good choice. I mean, it was either that or The Mighty Ducks. <laughs> Is there any romance in The Mighty Ducks? Does he Does he, no. Does he? he get romantic with one of the mums of the kids? Does that no. O- only the romance of team sportsmanship. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what we're here for. No, not at all. No, I just mean there's it's got hashtag ice content. Oh but yes, pro- yeah. probably not as much as Shallow Girl. No, and also there's no romance to to to, to bring into it. Yeah, so Shallow Girl, it's got romance, it's got cold. Yeah, it's got Felicity what, Jones. What more do you need? It's all we need. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Good call. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, that is it for me. Cool. I just want to say that everyone remember to stockpile some food because we're about to fall off the Brexit cliff and everything's fucked. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, get food together. Get blood. You know, I'd recommend stockpiling some blood legally. But if the opportunity arises to stab someone up and steal their blood, you know, I'm sure the government would understand. It's what the Conservative Party would want of you. I mean, they are literal vampires. So... <laughs> um. 
yeah we're, we're doomed our country is totally fucked it's amazing yeah uh, do you remember really do you remember when people toilet. said all of this stuff was going to be project fear paddy and it was never going to yeah. happen oh yeah it'll all be fine yeah, yeah. yeah it's funny how nothing is fine and everything that was predicted is coming true yeah it's it's the physical manifestation of that comic strip where the dog's in the fire and he's going this is fine <laughs> like you couldn't you could not compare it to that image enough it's so accurate i for one am very much looking forward to waiting 50 years to see if there's any positives from brexit um yeah. spoiler alert there won't be and us and worth the generation that follows us are both going to have to struggle horrendously on the whims of a bunch of old people yeah, like only only a 1300 year old vampire like is would make a statement like that where they know that like 50 years will pass in the blink of an eye to them yeah exactly um, he is genuinely a fucking nosferatu well, he is he is he's got this dorian gray thing going on apart from it's with walter out of the beano where as long as walter <laughs> is in print whether it's digital or in paper form he does not age <laughs> He's got a ravaged copy of the first ever Beano in his attic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and slowly Walter <laughs> is becoming more syphilitic and bloated. Um, his skin is is like drooping, his teeth are falling out, his eyes are yellowed, um, discharge everywhere. Um, and that is what Walter's like in the first ever printed version of the Beano that Jacob Rees-Mogg has framed in his attic. And every night he goes up and visits it and goes, hello, old friend. It's you. It's me. I am the softy. <laughs> I don't know why he has to whisper. Well, you know, he doesn't want to wake up the other vampires. Oh, yeah, that's true. He lives with a lot of them. He does. Because he's got six kids. <laughs> and that's why he's never had to change a nappy, because vampire children don't need nappies, because they just drink blood. Yeah, it's easy. It's all falling into place. Oh, my God. I mean, films like Twilight make out that it's really hard to be a vampire, but real life, you know, like all, all this Brexit stuff and the Tories in our country being run by actual vampires shows that vampires have it pretty sweet, if you ask me. I mean, me. vampires have always had it super easy. Being a vampire would be great. I'd be all on board with being a vampire. I'd give it a go. I would totally love it. I, I hate daytime anyway. Daytime's the yeah. worst. Um, I mean, I'm not sleeping right now anyway, so... Exactly. So, come on. Vampire us up. Yeah. Also, a vampire could totally take a wizard. Particularly Absolutely. if he had a hammer. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the only way. They couldn't use their, like, fangs or bat powers or vampire dark magic or anything. <laughs> they just have to use the hammer. The vampire hammer. <laughs> that oft-used tool. <laughs> I think th- there's, um, there's mention of vampires in, um... Harry Potter, isn't there? There is, yeah. They get a passing mention, don't they? There's a ru- is there a rumour that Karkaroff is a vampire yeah. at some point? Yeah. Um, but obviously that would be a little bit too grim for the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Um, if if they attach that much emotion to a dead owl. Um, spoiler <laughs> alert, the owl dies if you've not finished reading the Harry Potter books. Um, it's very sad. And then there's like a page long thing about how sad it is. Um, yeah. If they attach that much sadness to a dead owl, uh, I don't think they could handle Harry Potter's friends being eaten by vampires. <laughs> I'm not sure that would well, go down too well. A few of them die at the end. Yeah, as well. we I, we I find it really say. weird that I won't say who dies, 
but often when someone dies in Harry Potter at the end in the action scenes, it's kind of just gl- like glossed over. It's like, oh, so and so's dead, and so and so's dead, and they're here. But Harry has to keep running, and it's like, oh, okay, that's weird because you did literally spend a whole page earlier talking about an owl. Are you saying that owls aren't amazing? Owls are amazing, but owl versus close personal friend is dead. Uh, there is no, <laughs> there's, there's no comparison right there. Well, I fucking love owls. Owls didn't vote for Brexit. Maybe they did. Just gonna, just gonna put it Maybe out. Maybe they're there. behind it all. You can't be an owl and a gammon. <laughs> There's no such thing as a gammon owl. <laughs> That's what you think. Underneath all those feathers, it's just very, very angry red flesh. <laughs> I don't want to see that. <laughs> have you ever seen an angry owl? They're livid. I could see. Oh them. yeah, I yeah. See I, I have. Se- I have seen an angry owl, my friend. I have seen many an angry owl in pictures and in the flesh. Yeah. I've flown. I've flown an owl in an owl show. I think this is. You've been too enticed by the power of the owls and you can't see them for the for the brexit masterminds that they are <laughs> yeah they they fly with the vampires don't they they do they do also they could beat wizards if they had a hammer yeah <laughs> it's like rock paper scissors hammer always wins yeah <laughs> no what would beat a hammer a bigger hammer it's got, too hot. I can't think. You've got wand, hammer, and I don't know. What would a wand be good against? Nothing. It's a stick. <laughs> yeah, you're rubbish wizards. Get out. Hammer, stick, water balloon. <laughs> yeah, because the water balloon would rust the hammer. So there we go. Yeah. But the wand would pop the balloon. Oh but then yeah, the hammer yeah. would beat the wizard. Okay, there we go. Hey, you you want to have a game of wand hammer water balloon? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to catch on. It's going to be a sensation. <laughs> oh, good times. Right, I think I'm going a bit mad with the heat. So yes, I'm completely delirious. So we should end this now <laughs> before <laughs> before it gets any worse. Right. Okay. Uh, Watch out for vampires, kids, and tune in next week to hear us talk about Chalet Girl. <laughs> Yes, I hope you've enjoyed this nonsense. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.